Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great movies, so many great conversations. But it's a lot of work. Producing this show week after week does require a lot behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We had some great films in Season 8 that started their lives as books or plays, and you can find all of them on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can find links to purchase all the source material behind the adapted films we covered from season one up through our current season. For part of season eight, we had a series celebrating the 50th anniversary of films from 1968. We talked about 2001 and 2010 for our Odyssey series, both adapted from Arthur C. Clarke's novels. Man, the second one was so much better than the first, right? Don't you even get me started. <sighs> Need I bring up Under the Cherry Moon again? Yes, also so much better. <laughs> wait, wait, no, that's not what I... <sighs> Planet of the Apes kicked off its series based on the novel by Pierre Boulet. We covered Danger Diabolic and The Detective, adapted from novels for our 1968 crime films. Wait, wasn't that The Detective the prequel to Die Hard? They were both written by Roderick Thorpe, and yes, it's the same character in the books. I can't believe they even asked Sinatra if he'd be in Die Hard. That would have been yeah. weird. <laughs> Uh, Once Upon a Time in America was part of our Leone Once Upon a Time trilogy, adapted from Harry Gray's novel. And we looked at 1968 Best Picture nominees The Lion in Winter, Rachel Rachel, Romeo and Juliet, and Oliver! We also had an Ingrid Bergman series with adaptations like Spellbound, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Murder on the Orient Express, and Gaslight. We haven't talked about Gaslight. Stop gaslighting me! <laughs> Dive deeper into these books and more adapted films at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the podcast. Get the full list of adaptations that we've covered on all the Next Real family of podcasts and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. The next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hola, hola, hola. And we spoil movies tonight on the show. You know what? There's always more room in the Spanish apartment. France's smash hit comedy, nominated for six César Awards. France's highest honor for film, including Best Picture. My story starts here, with the decision to go away for a year. I'm here about the roommate ad. You know, we want life to be cool together. We want good vibes between people. I understand the problem. We are already from very different countries. You know, I'm Italian. Tobias is German. Lars is Danish. Wendy's English. So that is Espanol. Okay, now I have some questions. What do you expect your life to be in about five years? <laughs> That's a ridiculous question. You can't ask well, me that. Uh, Andy, this uh, was new to me, this movie. I never even heard of it. Right. Let alone that there, there that it's there's 
two more after it. Right. And I got to tell you, buddy, you hit it out of the park. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I really <laughs> I enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I thought, oh, he's setting me up. He's setting me up for some wonky craziness, and I'm going to have to sit through it, and it's probably, uh, I don't know what it's going to be. I, I don't know. I, I expected uh, Ingmar. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. It was cheeky fun, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to hear what you think. This is, uh, when have you, when's the last time you saw it? Um, in the theater, actually. I saw this. So it's been a while. Yeah, 2003, when it had its uh, um, theatrical, limited theatrical release here in the States, and I caught it at the uh, local art house cinema, and uh, totally fell in love. Just totally fell in love with it. And uh, I also, I lost track of it, and I didn't know it was a trilogy either. I only knew the first one ever existed. (laughs) Who knew? But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about all three of these now. I'm excited. What's what's even funnier is that you picked all three of these to put on the schedule, not knowing that they were a trilogy. I think that is remarkable. It's like you are you are genetically tuned to uh, decipher movies. You don't even need to know you're using the force. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> I don't even know how to take that. <laughs> it's compliment. It's compliment. Total compliment. Okay. The Spanish apartment. L'Auberge Espagnole. Uh, this is the story of a young man, Xavier, who is going abroad. He lives in France and he's moving to Barcelona uh, to learn about the country and study in school through the Erasmus program. Uh, which is a thing I did not know about. The Erasmus program is the European Community Action Scheme for the Mobility of University Students. It was an EU exchange program established in 1987. It has been uh, co-opted, absorbed, uh, reabsorbed a number of times, and uh, it was finally replaced by the Socrates II program in January of 2000 uh, and the Lifelong Learning Program uh, through 2013. So right now, what was the Erasmus program no longer exists. There is there it it has been uh, ended. So we are looking at a moment in history. Actually, when this movie was made and released in 2002 over in Europe, there was no program. That's right. This program was in complete non-existence because between 2000 and 2007, it was a gap of of non-education. Yes, there was no education going on. My understanding was originally that he had written this uh, from the perspective of just sort of his experience abroad, Um, you know, having been born in France and then he moved to New York and went to NYU in the 80s and just sort of his experience kind of working and living abroad as uh, as a student, and uh, that that very much influenced kind of the cultural sensitivities that he brings to the script. And, you know, I, speaking as somebody who has done this sort of thing myself, I, I gotta I gotta say he just nailed it. And uh, for every bit of it from the the struggle of of, you know, moving abroad to the struggle of coming home, like all of these little elements and the emotional storms that kind of come up when you least expect them as you're trying to integrate. Um, you know, it's it it's all really raw in this movie as told through Xavier and his his compatriots in the Spanish apartment and i found it um really touching and i it's like i i had texted you right after i watched it i said i feel like this movie was made literally for me uh it just felt like <laughs> like such a homecoming well that's the strength of this film is that it captures that period in your early 20s when you're kind of figuring your life out you know kind of that that late college or grad school type of thing and and you know we're we're following Xavier as he's kind of going through this program trying to figure out who he is and who he's going to be and we know that his dad is kind of pushing him to be to go into economics and be uh, work in the world of finance he's got a friend who works there he knows he'll make a good life for himself it doesn't seem like his parents necessarily went down that road based on his mother but mm-hmm. And and he certainly doesn't want to go down that road. He is very much, uh, as we beautifully see when we look at photos of himself as a young boy, his the the young boy's voice will pop in on screen and say, "I want to be a writer," and it's super <laughs> adorable. And 
I think that that's a really interesting element that we get to see that idea of of um, and, and I think it's it's lost sometimes in these types of movies where you were following somebody as he's trying to figure out who he's going to be and how he's going to pursue his life. Is he going to pursue the career that is more in line with expectations and making a career and and getting a good wage and all that sort of stuff? Or is he going to pursue his dreams? And is he going to try to do something that is going to make his soul, you know, feel complete? And uh, I think the addition of that photo with the young version of himself, almost like he's not, he's not like reprimanding him or anything. All he's doing is it's like a reminder that this Mm -hmm. is what I wanted to do. This is what I always dreamed of. And uh, clearly it's his dream, but he just, he never is really pursuing it. And it's, it's a really uh, kind of beautifully done journey for this character who's trying to figure that out. And he's kind of lost. And I think that's what this film really depicts well is that sense of lost um, position in the world. You know, you kind of go through this structure for such a long period of time in your life through all these schools and everything is regimented and you know you know, you're going to go through uh, elementary school and, and junior high and, and high school, and then you're going to go off to college and you're going to get your degree and then you're going to get into your career. But that's, that, that's the point when all of a sudden you you get out of school and all of a sudden you, you come out and you're like, wow, there's really no set direction anymore for me. And it's right. a little daunting, especially if that career opportunity doesn't present itself right away or it's not the career that you really wanted in the as in the case of of Xavier here and so it's really um I, I don't know I just think they capture that really well that whole sense and that that spirit of youth as he's trying to figure himself out I just love it it's it's really beautifully done through this film I totally agree and 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 I think you know the piece that is hard to capture in in just generally in these sort of coming of age movies about this is the way uh, circumstances can pitch intentions. Right. And that's exactly what happens here for Xavier. And I think he does it so beautifully where he he goes to Spain with the intention to come back and work in in economic development, having a a better understanding of, you know, as you said, of of Spain, Spanish economy, etc. And he realizes so quickly when he gets back how the circumstances of his experience in Spain caused him to completely change directions. And the nuance of that transformation, I think, is really uh, sort of beautifully illustrated in this movie over the course of the third act. Uh, And I I found it, I found him, uh, you know, Xavier, uh, uh, Romain Dury, uh, just perfect. For this role, I was just I, I was with him the entire time. Uh, he was a, a perfect avatar for this journey of, of something, you know, so familiar uh, as his experience. Well, and they set it up where he's, you know, he's got a life that could be fine. Right. He's got mm-hmm. a, a beautiful girlfriend, Martine, played by Audrey Tattoo, back in France. Um, but I mean, right out of the gate, we get a sense that it's not a good fit. And and I think that they play that really well where, you know, they, they're at the airport when they're saying goodbye, it just always is awkward. Like everything about their relationship always feels a little awkward, except for maybe the very first time we meet the two of them when they're looking at fittingly a children's book, they're looking at kind of the book that her parents, um, uh, it's a, a book about like the life on the farm named Martine or something, Martine something. And it's what her parents named her from. And right, right. And, she says it's sexist. Right. I'd never even heard of it, but you know, probably was. <laughs> and they uh but it's like the one time in the film where I I feel like there is more of a connection between the two. And interestingly, it's in a moment where they're kind of reflecting on that early part of their life, that childhood when they were kind of creating these foundations for themselves. And uh but you get this this sense of who he is and that there's a bigger passion. Uh, inside of him, but he just doesn't know what it is. And he's just kind of doing what people tell him. You know, you, you've you got to go study in Spain because uh, you need to have that experience in order to um, 
be more in line to get the job here is what his dad's friend tells him when he talks to him. And so that's why he goes. And so he's just doing these things by the book. And, uh, and so it just, it's nice. And I, then I I think it's also an interesting comparison when, when he meets Anne Sophie and, uh, and her kind of, uh, strange husband, you know, the, the French doctor, and you get this, this sense of this, uh, kind of odd relationship developing between the two, two of them. But she is another example of him. You know, she's kind of this, this person who's kind of accepted this kind of crappy version of her life and here she is stuck in it and it's only through this experience with him that she gets a tiny glimpse into it uh, only to have it shut again when she tells her husband what happened let's talk a little bit more about them and that relationship because i think it's i think it's a really interesting one and um you know it's it's that both the nature of kind of her uh introversion Right. Because, as you said, it's it, she's another him. She's going through exactly the same kind of experience, having moved there from France, not knowing what to explore, but also this sort of act of infidelity and and what it means for these characters. How does that hit you? It's an, it's an interesting element of this relationship film because uh, there's a lot of infidelity going on. I mean, he, you know, our main character, Xavier, he has this girlfriend, Martine, back in France, but he goes to Spain and uh, through kind of the, you know, he, he, one of his roommates when he moves into this apartment uh, is this, uh, he, he kind of has this crush on her, this uh, lesbian, Isabel, and uh, until he realizes she's a lesbian. And then it's almost like she becomes his, they, like a romantic coach, which is great. And she kind of helps him kind of break out of his barrier and begin this, this, uh, this uh, relationship with a married woman. Um, so the infidelity really starts there. But then we learn a lot of these other roommates in this apartment are also having um, uh, affairs. And uh, it, it becomes this running <laughs> they're thing. They're all having they're, affairs. They're all having affairs. <laughs> One of them, who's, you know, he's having an affair. or he, I don't even know if it's an affair, really. But he's sleeping with one of the roommates. And then only to find out that this woman shows up at the door who is an ex of his with a baby that is his. That's so, his. <laughs> yeah. So it's an interesting uh, element that they introduce here. And I think it kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I was struggling with it this time because I'm like, are they saying that, you know, it's, you know, infidelity is great. It can help you figure out who you are because it kind of feels that way sometimes. But I think what they're trying to say here is it's not necessarily right. Like, it, you know, being unfaithful is it, it's damaging to relationships. But at, at a position in your life where you're lost and you're in a relationship that's not probably the relationship for you, it does end up being kind of this odd stepping stone for you to try to figure out who the hell am I and is this the person for me? And and maybe it is and maybe this helps you figure that out or maybe it's not and that's what you needed to get out. And I don't think it's necessarily right. And I think there are examples of that through the film. But I think that it's it's this interesting thing saying, you know what, it's nobody's perfect. And these things might happen, but it's something that maybe can help you on the path to figuring out who you are. Well, and I think that is the that that's the point entirely to my eye that this entire line, all these people having affairs with one another, doing it because they are portrayed in this context as not knowing who they are and that they have thrust themselves of their own doing into this situation where they they are foreigners in their own skin and that this sort of infidelity is, you know, I think that's part of how they how it's sort of justified by subtext that they're not they're not the same people they were when they left and they aren't the same people that they're going to be when they return but this is part of their journey is is exploring that the mistake that they made was not that they were um you know was not that they had these new relationships it's that they didn't end the relationships it was an it was an error of optimism right that they didn't end the relationships that they had before they went off to explore and sow some new oats and and i think that's kind of the the story like these are the lessons you learn through you know exploration and pain ultimately and um i I find that the the bigger thing for me is the the Anne Sophie character, uh, Anso, 
because her approach to the world is so different from his. Like, she is the one of all of these other characters in the apartment that we meet, uh, of Xavier himself, of uh, Anne-Sophie's husband. Uh, she's the one, the only one in the place that feels like she is completely powerless in all all the relationships in her life, right? She was dragged here. She said yes, but did she mean it when her husband said, let's go to France? And then she was on a plane. Like, she she is a sympathetic character. And I think, weirdly, in some ways, that that absolves her of the the natural guilt that she should be feeling, right? Because it's a sign of a number of things, not the least of which is that their marriage is is you know in trouble as a result of their poor communication and and it, it has caused her to be somebody again that she's not. Even though by all rights, she's in in the catbird seat, right? She's with her husband. She is in she is naturally in a protected space by default. And yet she's still not she she's lost her identity and i think that's a really compelling angle for that character for me well and i think it's very much the um reflective character for xavier because of this position where i i think he can kind of see himself in her and i think there's that connection between the two i mean he's kind of thrust into her life it's interesting i mean it's accidental the way that he kind of falls in with with her and her husband jean michel um, at, because he needs a place to stay and he's staying with them. But then Jean Michel, you know, he's working all the time. He's like, Oh, can you go, go show Anso around so she can kind of see the city a little bit and, and all of this. And, and it's kind of thrust upon him. But I think he starts realizing, um, Xavier that she is really a reflection of him. She is a future version of him. If he goes back and takes this job and marries Martine, this is kind of what he's going to be in. He's going to be knowingly in a relationship that he's not that thrilled about, in a job that he's not that thrilled about, but he's accepted it and he's stuck. And he kind of goes along with it just like she does. But I think that he starts to see that. And I think one of the reasons that he finds her attractive and all of that is because of this idea that, you know, if if I can find a way to give her this you know, sense of joy. And obviously there's just that attraction too. But I think if if he can find this way to kind of, you know, break that for her, then it might make it okay for him later, you know. And so it's an interesting reflection. And what I think is interesting is that she she ends up telling her husband about the affair and it yeah. and weirdly he invites them still to his going away party, which I thought was completely bonkers. That's um, super progressive. I'm yeah. not that much of a grown up. <laughs> well, and certainly the husband was very much a grown up, you know, even showing up. But what's so funny about that, Andy, is that final scene, like he actually, you know, he says goodbye to the husband and it's a chilly goodbye. And he says goodbye to her and it's a hot goodbye. Like there is definitely unresolved emotional tension between the two of them, Xavier and Anne-Sophie. And I think that's, you know, isn't that so telling that she is, again, being dragged off by this invisible emotional leash by her husband? Well, and he stands there behind, kind of not really looking, but kind of looking, knowing that this is happening. And I mean, he weirdly has kind of accepted that this is all part of their relationship, too. Largely, I think, because he knows that Xavier is leaving and is going to be gone out of his life and, and he'll be fine. But but it's it's a strange it's a really strange relationship I, but i think that it just ends up working for me because of this sense that it's a life that xavier is really working to not get stuck in and uh, and it's it ends up being kind of heartbreaking as as we watch Anne sophie leave with her husband and realize She's stuck in that for the rest of her life. She'll never get out. He'll never let her get out. You know, he's not going to divorce her. It'll probably just be like this forever. And she's miserable. And, uh, you know, this was her like little glimpse at finding a way out. And she she's not willing to step out of it. 
Yeah, I it, that's that's it. And of all of these characters, obviously, I'm, I'm I find myself mulling over Xavier and his experience. But uh, of all the characters that I felt like I had a, a connection with, uh, it, it's it's Anne Sophie, and uh, she's the one that that just sort of sticks in my palate. Um, you know, after seeing this movie just you know once plus a bunch of scenes that I've kind of rewatched, um, and she's just brilliantly portrayed by Judith Goldrich, and um, I'm I, it's it's a a great little gem of a corner of this movie. Yeah, it really is. Um, it, you know, we we kind of skipped over one of the most uh, kind of standout pieces of the the architecture of the film in the first act, which is him just trying to get to Spain. And I found it, it both has a, a real sort of independent kind of small film look to it. And as a result, I think they get away with doing some wonderful sort of camera and editing tricks that uh, I can't imagine we're going to see in a movie like Avengers Endgame, for example. I think they get away <laughs> with small budget tricks that I found completely charming, uh, leading me into the the world of his journey. Uh, first, we've got some on-screen frames, for example, that, that they are or on-screen graphics where to, to demonstrate the administrivia of this whole experience of trying to get through Erasmus, they everywhere he goes, they they pop up the paperwork that he has to fill out on screen. And I found myself laughing out loud as as these, you know, these uh, <laughs> administrative people are saying, oh, it's really easy. You just need to get the blah, da, da, blah, da, da, blah, da, and these little things keep popping up on screen around his head. I think they're just really charming. And then they start doing these crazy things with um speed with with uh changing the speed, the, the speed of these sequences yeah. yeah speed ramping why do they start doing this i think it's just a a, a great way to show the insanity it, it, it actually felt like to me being that brazil is one of my favorite films it felt like almost a modern version of brazil like the insanity of all of this stuff going on that you have to accomplish in order to get anything done because the way that the system is. I think it's an interesting example of the world that Xavier essentially was leaving. It, it never points out that, or it never really says that his career could have been like a job that was in a world very much like this. But I had a sense that this was exactly the type of job. I mean, it was economics, but still, it probably would have been just as full of paperwork and nonsense and going from one building to the other and just all this craziness. In fact, we get a little glimpse of that at the end, which also feels very Brazil-like <laughs> when he goes and he gets his job and they're they're showing him the, the, the little dinky room where they get their snacks and they have their mini, like tiny, tiny coffees. And it just, it all feels like such a joke. And, you know, the, as the two, two people are giving him a tour. I'm, I'm so embarrassed that I didn't think of Brazil. That's a brilliant comparison, especially when they're <laughs> in his office. And he, they said, so here are all your files. You've got your <laughs> right. reds your and yellows, your yellows <laughs> and your blues. <laughs> yep. It's totally that. And, I, and uh. I think that that's just the bureaucracy of the system. And it's this world that people like him don't necessarily, you know, understand. And it's this insanity of a system that's been created for people to, quote, make things easier, as the lady says, it's so easy yeah. to get this done. But really, it just turns it into a, a just a giant mess and a difficult process. So I think it's it's cute. I think they set it up to just be cute and fun and all that. But I think it's highlighting kind of the bigger issue of the world that he's, you know, getting his education for and getting prepped for compared to the world that he's going to be shown and kind of the the connection he's going to find with his soul when he goes to um, Barcelona. 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 Okay, can we let's talk then about Barcelona. We've got to talk about the roomies and, of course, the Spanish apartment. Mm, la Berge Espagnole. Indeed. I I did not know that uh, a Spanish apartment in French, Auberge Espagnole, is actually a French idiom uh, that refers to, quote, a place where you can only eat what you bring and by extension, a place or situation where you only find what you brought. That's a riddle wrapped inside a riddle. <laughs> it is. I love that. 
it, and it fits. It's kind of an interesting, they, and I guess that they've kind of recently reinterpreted to kind of be a potluck where everybody being, yeah. brings a part of the meal. Everybody brings something to contribute. And I think it's such a great expression for what he finds in this apartment where he finally ends up finding a home. And and it demonstrated quite literally as they go through the refrigerator tour and <laughs> you see all of the shelves labeled. And there's that little frustration that she has. One of the roommates has a, like a juice or something that is too tall. She tries to put it on another shelf. No, no, no. Can you just please can you just lay, lay it down? Uh, <laughs> I think all of this is just yes, this is the roommate experience. And I think they captured it so well. And uh, as as these six people have have completely destroyed this apartment uh, just as, in the act as, of existing there. And as poor Wendy is always like, why am I the only one who cleans here? <laughs> why do I feel like I know that character all too well? Oh, you do. Yeah, you <laughs> absolutely do. Um, so the thing about this movie, and I've seen a lot of these coming of age m- movies, and I, I'm not going to do any sort of name dropping because I know that we're we have this as one of our potential topics for this weekend's upcoming Saturday matinee show. So uh, I, I don't want to mention any other coming of age sort of movies in case I need to use them. Which people can find over on thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Yes, they can. Thank you. Nice, nice plug. So, uh, but I, I want to say that, that I think what stands out in this, this, again, this tiny gem of a movie is the language thing. The fact mm. that all of these people, in addition to bringing all of their cultural biases and all of their, you know, experiences and backgrounds into this into this single apartment, they all speak a different language. And from scene to scene, you're never quite sure which language is going to be home language for that sequence, right? It's generally it's Spanish. And there is, you know, a, an experience of just sort of all of these people, uh, the ones who aren't from Spain, kind of learning Spanish together and speaking Spanish together. There's a, a, a much of it is in English. There's a lot of English that's kind of spoken. There's a lot of French that's spoken. Uh, but the the fact that language has become um a barrier for these people who are actually living together really adds something special to the coming of age kind of identity crisis that is going on in this film. Do you agree? Oh, it's beautiful. Just the way that they're all, I mean, it's, it, it is very much like being in a foreign country where you're kind of half understanding everything and you're having these conversations where you're like, yeah, I think I'm getting all of this, but I don't really know for sure. I mean, I, I know when I, I, I went to South America and I was, uh, you know, doing this in, in Spanish, which I was much better at. And then I did it in Portuguese and I was very weak in Portuguese when I went there. And I was like winging it. And I'm like, you know, you really are constantly paying attention as hard as you can trying to figure out every single word so that you can figure it out, translate it in your head and get back and retranslate it into something else that you want to say back. It's very complicated. And uh, I, I think that they capture that really nicely as all of these people are kind of doing all this this dance in these languages. It's wonderful. Wendy, who is from uh, UK, has, I think, one of the perfect scenes. And I, I thought this was really clever. And it makes me really wish that I had thought of it in prior life experiences. When next to the phone, uh, of course, <laughs> they had a phone and not everybody had cell phones. Um, next to the phone, they had the flags of each country of language and and the names of each roommate and said, if somebody calls asking for that person, here's the line that you can use that is translated. This person isn't here right now. Please call again later. Right. <laughs> or something like that. Right. And and she tries to do this in, in French and her French is <laughs> is bless her terrible. And. Uh, I, I think her experience of just trying to say, uh, you know, who, you know, he's he's not here right now. Please call again later. And as she sort of gets louder and louder, it feels like so alone uh, <laughs> while she's on the phone <laughs> with who apparently is her. I, I was it was unclear if that was actually her mother or his mother that she was, was talking that, yeah. to or if it was his girlfriend and she totally didn't get it. It, it is. And it's, it's a very cute. And that is a, a perfect example of kind of that that struggle with with uh, language. But what I think they do great with these characters is show how all of them are here because because of that experience. And mm-hmm. they're all taking full advantage of this opportunity to 
uh, to you know, be in a situation where they have to figure this out and they're playing with these languages and they're learning Catalan and they're learning um, better Spanish and, and also kind of learning to communicate with each other, whether it's in uh, mostly in English or Spanish or whatever it happens to be. But just the way that it unfolds is great. And then it's a beautiful contrast and really funny contrast when Wendy's brother comes to town to stay with her for a couple of weeks, which seems to turn into a couple of months. And he's just, he's completely culturally ignorant. He doesn't really speak any of the languages. And he is constantly like finding ways, because he's an idiot, I don't think intentionally, but of, of offending every single person um, because he thinks he's funny. <laughs> and it's a perfect example of like that cultural blindness because he just doesn't get it. Yeah, he's the worst. He is just terrible. His jokes, they land terribly. He, and and the thing about his performance, I think, this is Kevin Bishop as William. I, I feel like he doesn't have, he, he's missing that kind of frontal lobe piece where he <laughs> is insensitive and doesn't care until he's confronted by his sister, in which point he they have, a, you know, their relationship, which is equally troubled uh, in, in all kinds of different ways. Uh, but But they're able to come to sort of, um, you know, a detente uh, after she says she's going to kick him out because he's so insensitive. Like, they figure it out. But uh, he doesn't seem to care about, you know, any of his infractions with the other folks. Uh, when he is, <laughs> and when he starts doing his his Nazi bit to the German <laughs> roommate, it's oh. is a real low point in his his place in the, uh, in the apartment. Well, and, and you get to the ending. And, you know, it is it is that odd climax that we have where everybody is trying to save Wendy from uh, her boyfriend who is, you know, here to surprise her, uh, you know, from finding out that she's actually, you know, sleeping with this American back in her room. And so it's it is going back to that whole thing about these these relationships and these affairs and everything and and Wendy's situation with her boyfriend um i think it shows that they all come together as this unique family and even even uh, her brother finds a way to kind of uh make it through this this idiocy that he's had and he you know puts himself i guess you could say for 2002 2003 uh, in the in the most awkward of positions of mm -hmm. uh to to protect his sister by by jumping into bed with her boyfriend i mean with the the person she's sleeping with the american yeah just in time for her boyfriend to come in, um, making him think that he's actually having his first gay experience. Yeah. <laughs> which which is only highlighted all the more when he comes out in the pink robe. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is redemptive for him in a very strange way. And I right. think it's great. I think it's really, really great. It is, I, yeah. I do want to talk about the, the name we haven't mentioned yet is Martine, played by Audrey Totu, who... Is I now I I know I'm making a bigger deal about this than I need to, but it is one of the things that I felt like I was sold a bill of goods because everywhere I look about this uh, at the, for this movie as I was getting ready to watch it, her face is always the biggest one on all of the marketing material. I thought this was going to be an Audrey movie, and it is not an Audrey movie, right? This is a Romaine movie, and it's great, but Audrey is hardly in it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that it's just the way that marketing departments work. I mean, this came out, um, you know, here in the States a couple years after uh, uh, Amelie did. And so she was huge. Everybody recognized her face. And yes, let's make her face as big as possible because it's going to help sell tickets. I can't speak for sure if that's why uh, my wife and I ended up going to see this when we did, but it possibly was the reason. I mean, you know, uh, anything with her after that, I'm just like, oh, yes, yeah, sign us up. We'll go check that one out. Yeah, right, right. So it, and it's, it's the nature of marketing, you know, it's, it happens. And, uh, uh, it, yeah, it's just one of those things. Well, so this was for me, this was a double layer disappointment. And it is the only disappointment in the movie for me, because everything else is just working on is firing on all cylinders, so to speak. And so the the first is that I, I love Audrey. And I think she would I, I think it'd be great to have more of her in it. Uh, the thing that uh, sort of the double disappointment there is that 
the, her role is was one that I didn't care about at all. And I feel like I needed to care about him uh, missing her as the girlfriend left behind in order to better understand and better sort of find a, affinity for what he's going through without her. And because I didn't care about their relationship, apart from that one uh, sequence that you mentioned where she's reading the book, I had to sort of supplant my memory of my own experience and a relationship left behind in my history that was in that kind of a context in order to, to like, fill in the hole. Uh, and, you know, it for me, it works, but I just missed that 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 was an unrealized relationship. But see, I feel like that's how it was supposed to be. I don't think that is a relationship. I mean, I think he was in the relationship because it was probably a convenient one or because they were, you know, they they connected at just the right time. But it clearly was never a relationship that was meant to be, you know, kind of a lifetime relationship. If it was, it would have ended up exactly like uh, Jean-Pierre and, or Jean-Michel and uh, and sophie And I think that um, if we had had a stronger actually feeling of love and connection between the two of them, it would have made for a very different relationship. I think we're meant to feel that this relationship is never meant to work out. I, well, and and if that's true, then I really don't care about it. Then what is the point of it at all? Like it, it just doesn't it doesn't lend anything to his sort of development as a person. If that is a, a a relationship that was never supposed to work out in the first place, like there is some benefit to having him feel regret when he is executing a relationship of infidelity with a married woman while he's you know with this he's left this other woman back in. France like there you have to there there have to be some stakes and if the audience doesn't care about that relationship if if he demonstrates he doesn't care about it and if if they play it as if it is insignificant I think that comes to the detriment to the story I I can see your point I I can see your point um I but I don't think it bothers me because I feel like it's there as a relationship of convenience. It, it feels like the sort of relationship that we have in films where we see these people together, but we're like, ah, I just don't feel, I don't feel there's a connection there. And I hope he find. I hope he figures it out. And because uh, I mean, you know, I feel like at the beginning when he takes her to the, or she, she goes with him and his mom to the airport. And I mean, he has a hard time just kind of connecting with her and saying goodbye to her. I feel like when uh, she comes to visit him, like there are all these moments that are these signals saying, you know, it's not a good relationship. But but Andy, but wait a minute. Like he's, you say he has a hard time saying goodbye to her, but the hard time is he kisses her and then is bereft. Like he's weeping on the plane all the way over to, (laughs) to Spain. Like that to me felt like the signal they were sending is this is going to be hard. Right. But I don't think that he was crying necessarily because of her. I mean, this is just how I interpreted it. I felt like he was bereft because and he says it later. He's just like, it's the idea of just, you know, you're kind of on your own and and this whole thing like he's he's in a place where he just, you know, he doesn't know what he's going to do anymore. And all of a sudden he's just like he feels completely, you know, off in the woods with with no one to help him. And I think that's the position that he he put himself in. But I can totally see how that can very much be read the other way. Well, I, I appreciate it. I, I see your point, too. And I, I just feel like I need a little bit more oomph uh, and uh, in, in that in the heartbreak. Yeah. So, yeah, is what it is. Tell me about Cedric Klapich, can you? Because I have never heard of him until this point. I had, uh, I've only seen this film of his. I have not seen much from this filmmaker, but I mean, he's, he's a French filmmaker. He, uh, as you said earlier, he did come to school in, in New York. He went to NYU and, and studied there at, uh, after studying over there. And, um, and I think, you know, he did, it's funny. He came over here to, uh, to go to NYU worked on some things and then he ended up directing some like short uh short films or something about um you know uh 
using condoms. <laughs> it's one of his, <laughs> his earlier things that he did, which I think is funny. Uh, something to kind of you know, prevent AIDS. This was kind of a, a little thing that he did. He started out as just somebody who had a voice. And I, I'm curious now to see more of his projects. He didn't make his first feature until the early 90s and uh, and has kind of been doing smallish films, I think, that uh, that have gained him some recognition. Um, and uh, certainly, it sounds like some interesting projects that he's done leading up to this, which really kind of uh, exploded. And, uh, and he made it kind of as a low-budget movie, and it turned into a huge success for him. So, I so this that, this was the biggest thing that he had done to date, up, right? Up to that point, yeah, up to that point when he made this one. I don't know. I, I mean, we're going to watch these three films of his, but I am certainly curious now because I, I just love his filmmaking style. I think he's got a very assured hand as to how he wants to tell his story, how he wants to use the camera, how he wants to just kind of play. And I mean, certainly it fits the context of this story about this young 20-something trying to find himself in life. The shot that sticks in my head is this wide shot of this big plaza somewhere in Barcelona, and <laughs> and then you you all of a sudden have a circle drawn around a little car- a little person kind of <laughs> way down there, and you go, oh yep, that's that's Xavier. He's got his giant backpack on. He's carrying his three suitcases, all this stuff, and you kind of see him, and it's all going you know at fast motion, and you see him kind of wander across the thing. It just it well, feels... and then they write on screen, "This is me." As he's yeah, doing right. the voiceover, it's so charming. <laughs> And that's a filmmaker who I think has a very assured hand. I think he's having a lot of fun with it. And he's telling a story that just allows for uh, kind of just um, a, a really good time while also exploring that idea of of figuring out who you are and, and connecting your soul to what you're going to do with the rest of your life. So much charm in this guy's filmmaking style. I can't wait to see what's coming next week. Yeah. Right. Uh, do do we know? Uh, I mean, I I had besides uh, Audrey, I didn't have any relationship with anybody else in this movie. I feel like oh. that there were all new faces to me. Really? Well, Who you should missing? recognize Wendy because Kelly Riley is definitely a British face that you probably have seen. If you saw Flight with Denzel Washington, oh, she was in yeah. that. If you oh, saw Sherlock Holmes, I've seen her she everywhere. was in that. If you saw Pride and Prejudice, okay. she was in that. If you saw Calvary, she was in that. She okay. is a fantastic actress. Now you're just actress. showing off. Now, now I'm you're just, just showing, showing off. Exactly. She was in True Detective. Come on. <laughs> She's in a lot of stuff. She's in a ton of stuff. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She's... No, I take it all back. <laughs> And she's great. And I love her as Wendy. I think that she just is a delight in this character and uh, brings a lot to the table. So she's definitely uh, a key part for me. And then uh, Cecily de France, I'm not sure if it's Cecile or Cecily. um, She's definitely a familiar face. She plays Isabel. Um, and she got a lot of notice actually for her role in this film, which I think is, uh, I think it's just, I think that she did a great job here. It was an early film in her career. I haven't seen much else of hers, but what I have seen is High Tension, which was a horror film that she did, uh, just right after this, actually, that I thought was okay. It wasn't, uh, my favorite, but it was interesting. And I, I thought it was certainly, uh, had some, had some uh, some good scares. It was directed by Alexandra Aja, who uh, has gone on to do quite a number of other projects. Um, and then she was in the, the uh, remake, which was probably unfortunate to even mention, of Around the World in 80 Days. Only unfortunate <laughs> if you didn't like it, Andy. Oh, sure, sure. That Coogan, he's funny. Mm. I'm, glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you found something to appreciate in it. <laughs> okay. okay no but we we have christina um, brondo she is the the spanish roommate she's uh in her hometown we have uh, federico diana as alessandro he is the italian roommate we have uh let's see we have uh, barnaby Me- i don't know Mechurat as tobias he is the i, I think he's uh the german Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just as I go through this, I'm looking at their uh, filmographies to see if I recognize anything, and so far no. And then uh, Christian Pog, he is the uh, from he's the Danish roommate, 
And again, I don't think that there's anything of his that I'm familiar with. But it's nice to see that a lot of these people are going to return in the two sequels. So it'll be interesting to kind of follow the story with them as they all grow up and find their careers. This is the great part about this coming of age story is that they eventually come of age. And, uh, you know, we get to be a part of that. It's like a a little French uh, before trilogy. Yeah, exactly right. Right, where we keep coming back to these same characters uh, time after time. Perfect. And Kevin Bishop, people may recognize him. He was the young Jim Hawkins in Muppet Treasure Island. I I didn't uh, recognize him as that, but now I do. And now you do. Young Jim Hawkins. And did you end up seeing um, uh, Moonwalkers? That was the the one with um, Rupert Grint, where he was uh, helping Stanley Kubrick uh, kind of film the moon landing, fake the moon landing. Did you know, you I didn't, I, we, it was I a didn't trailer end up seeing it. It was a trailer pick. Yeah, yeah. I count okay. on Steve and JJ to bring that back around. So Yeah, right, right. Well, he's in that too, so. Yeah. But it's a great cast. I, all of these faces are faces that I love, and you don't necessarily, because of the nature of the fact that you're in this apartment with with what ends up being eight people, and it, it, it becomes very busy, and you don't get to spend a lot of time with anyone in particular, except maybe Isabel. There's a little more time spent with her and Wendy. Those two seem to be the main two. Um, but because of that nature, uh, it it's spread pretty wide, but they all feel very authentic. And I really feel like I kind of get to know each of them a little bit in some way. We, we should add that Cedric Klapich is in the movie as the stressed professor. I think their reference there that his his picture on IMDb is older but I think he's the one who gets in the fight with the student about speaking Catalan, right? I guess so. I didn't look close enough to to connect that, but that's interesting. I don't I when you look at a younger picture of him, I'm trying to kind of parse this one out uh from on set with Juliet Binoche in Paris. It looks like it looks like that is him and it is an interesting conversation that they have in this classroom. It is the only time that a language barrier is sort of brought up, the idea that they're all about where they are and what language they're going to speak and what language the professor is going to speak in their class is not the kind of Spanish that the the foreign exchange students actually speak and so there is a challenge there and uh I, that that was an interesting scene uh, one that you know you probably related to better than i did it, well and it certainly is one where i mean that's where we really get to kind of uh, have that connection with isabel for the first time right right We've already talked about the cleverness behind the camera. Uh, Dominique Colleen is somebody that we have uh, we've seen around the block. He is the uh, yeah he's the DP here uh, and uh, and pretty busy DP over in France. That is uh, I, I but I think that um, he's somebody who came up in the world working on films like Amelie and like a very long engagement, doing some of the camera operations and second unit cameras. So uh, it's certainly a, a film, uh, a filmmaker who's been around. And I can't speak if, uh, if Cedric is really introducing a lot of kind of the fun with the language of the camera, or if that's something that Dominique is bringing to the table from mm-hmm. having worked with people like Jean-Pierre Junet and uh, uh, other filmmakers like that. How about that Gaspar Noé? Uh, Andy, did you see that? He did the uh, camera for the <laughs> short, 1998 short Sodomites, directed by Gaspar Noé. I know you hmm. follow the whole catalog. Uh, That's but then followed that up with anytime soon. Uh, Good Boys uh, Use Condoms. There's another condom thing, bringing that in. It's all I wonder if that's one that, uh, that Cedric directed. No, it wasn't. Lucille? Cedric's were Le Chambre, Le Poisson Rouge, and Le Romagneux de Lilas. I have no idea how to speak French. I'm just pretending. Well, the room, the red fish, and I'd need to see what you said on the last one. Le Romagneux de Lilas. That is the lilac chimney sweeper. That's what that's what Google tells me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet that that is also an idiomatic French expression. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that's that's literal? The, the French are great with their idioms. <laughs> Seriously. 
Anyway, how to do an award season. Uh, This was one that kind of found a home with people. It had eight wins, nine other nominations at the Caesar Awards, which are kind of the French Oscars. It uh, it won for Most Promising Actress, Cecily de France, uh, for her role as Isabel. Also, Best Film, uh, it was nominated for. It lost to The Pianist. Best Supporting Actress, Judith Godrech. Lost to Corinne Viard in Summer Things. Best Director, Roman Polanski won for The Pianist. Uh, Cedric lost that one. Uh, he also lost Best Screenplay Original ad- or Adaptation, which lost to Amen. And Best Editing lost to To Be and To Have. And over at the Lumiere Awards, another French award, it uh, won for Best Screenplay, and, it, and Cécile de France won for Most Promising Young Actress. Well, I can see that. Mm-hmm. A lot of promising stuff. It's interesting. Her role is pretty small and it's pretty, uh, it's played pretty kind of at the same pitch, but she's got a couple scenes. And I guess I'd say, okay, so for those scenes, like when she's talking about when she was uh, flirting with her flamenco instructor. Oh, God, it was brilliant. Yeah, that was nice. (laughs) So it worked (laughs) out. That was nice. I can see. I'm like, you know, she, she, well, no, I mean, but, you know, she, she delivers that and you can sense that kind of that passion as she's talking. How to yeah. do? You, you said that this was a low budget thing. Uh, how to do? And and that it uh, performed well. How to do at the box office? Yeah, uh, Clappage made his film for five point nine million or seven point nine million in today's dollars. Weirdly, I found it in dollars, not in uh, in any other European currency. So I'm assuming that it was actually converted for me. Uh, the movie was released overseas on May 17th, 2002, where it made about $27 million. It finally hit the States on March 21st, 2003, where it opened in limited release opposite Boat Trip, Piglet's Big Adventure, Dreamcatcher, and View from the Top. Because it's limited release on just 11 screens, it li- because of its limited release on just 11 screens, it landed in 54th place here in the States. That being said, it still found an audience and made $3.9 million giving it a total gross of $36.3 million in today's dollars. That landed the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of just over $275,000. Enough to get a follow-up a few years later with a sequel. Well, that is very promising. Small film does well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, again, I think it was just a, a terrific watch. I'm so glad you recommended this whole series, and I think we should jump in and rank it and see how it does. Yeah, let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all of the movies that we have talked about on this show. But if you swipe over in your show notes and you hit the word flickchart, that should take you directly to this one where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours. La Berge Espanol or Rocky Three. Totally La Berge Espanol. La Berge Espanol, absolutely. La Berge Espanol or Fargo. I got to say Fargo here. Fargo, yeah. La Berge Espanol, or Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I'm going with La Berge. I will go with La Berge. La Berge Espanol or 12 Monkeys. Gotta go with the monkeys. This is a tough ranking. This is not fair. La Berge Espanol or Escape from the Planet of the Apes. La Berge Espanol for me. La Berge Espanol. La Berge Espanol or Wild Tales. La Berge Espanol. Really? Yeah. That's interesting to me. Okay. I'll give it to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was easy. You win, Andy. You win. <laughs> La Berge Espanol or Das Boot. I got to go with Das Boot. Das Boot. La Berge Espanol or Forrest Gump. Well, you know me. I love Forrest Gump, so I got to go with Gump. that one. Yeah, you can have it. La Berge Espanol or Dawn of the Dead. I'm going with La Berge Espanol. <laughs> Which one? Dawn of the Dead. Oh, sorry. Dawn of the Dead, 1978. I forget we talked about both of them. It was so Uh, long ago that we talked about the remake. I know. Yeah, it's the 78. I will agree with you, and I will say uh, La Berge Espanol. All right. Well, that lands La Berge Espanol, a.k.a. the Spanish apartment, at 130 on our flick chart. 130 out of 399 films. 399. You know what that means? Next week. We hit 400. 130. It's actually about a 67% or about three and a half stars on uh, on our uh, chart here. How does that feel to you? 
low. Me too. <laughs> Crying out loud. Flick chart. I tell you. You know, what's funny is, uh, well, I don't know if it's funny. On uh, on my flick chart, I, uh, I went to re-rank it and I realized, oh, I never ranked this. How have I gone all this time without this on my flick chart? I have no idea. But uh, so I ranked it and it went, uh, it shot way up. And I was a little surprised that it went as high as it did. But I ended up being okay with it. It landed 120 out of 4,119, which was a lot higher than I was expecting. But I even re-ranked it because I'm like, well, that's too high. But (laughs) the the films that it's coming up against, it's like, well, I can't argue that. You know, it's it's, uh, it's one of those faults of uh, some choices that I've made in the past where films are just not ranked where they need to be. Yeah, I I felt absolutely that. For me, it landed at 265 out of 1,078. And that's a real problem for me, even though, you know, that puts it right about 75% on my list. It it says if I go by the algorithm, it should take it to four stars over at letterbox.com slash the next reel. I'm I'm uh, four and a half stars in a heart on this one. Uh, it, it is only uh, it loses that half star for the the home relationship that I got all riled up about. Um, Apart from that, it's an exceptional film, and I'm I'm thrilled to add it to the list. How how'd you do on the stars? Yeah, I I feel like when I saw this in the theater, I probably would have given it a straight up five star. Like I just loved it. I connected with it in every way. Uh, it just was one of those films that made me want to you know, change all the directions of my life and kind of you yeah, know totally. just take take the bull by the horns and and get moving. Um, I, this time I, I felt I found a little more of the kind of some of the holes and some of the issues that I uh, maybe missed the first time. They're not huge. And I think largely, I think Klappich, uh his filmmaking style brings so much joy to me when I watch it. It's just a fun watch mm-hmm. that I, I still can't drop it too much. So I also am at a four and a half and a heart. That's just yeah. where it needs to be, Andy. It's a good one. It's a good one. I'm very excited to talk about what's coming up next week then. I am too. I'm very curious because this is the only one I've seen. And so uh, next week we jump into Russian Dolls, which is uh, Klappich's follow-up. He did five years later. So it'll be interesting to kind of take this trip with these characters as they grow up. Uh, at the time uh, of this film, Xavier was uh, 25, I believe. And now he's. Uh, we're going to be rejoining him when he's. Actually, no. I take it back. Russian Dolls was just, just three years later. So it's uh, just a few years. But so he'll be about twenty-eight. It's not going to be like a train spotting, too. In other words, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait for uh, for Chinese puzzle. To yeah, get that's to that right. One. That's a much bigger jump. <laughs> Okay. Well, if you want to hear more of us, but you can't wait until next week's show, check out our other show, The Marvel Movie Minute. We're talking about the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. And we started with 2008's Iron Man. You can support that show and all of our shows over on thenextreel.com slash Patreon. And you can get access to our exclusive members-only weekend show, The Saturday Matinee. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth. Oh, it's unpredictable sometimes going to Amazon for these, uh, the smaller uh, foreign films. And I, I do, I think Amazon actually gave us something this week to work with, which we promptly not selected. <laughs> okay. There are some rich critical reviews <laughs> in, in these things. Rich. And, and they're actually, uh, I get it. They're fine. Go listen to our show. Uh, but i do have a a one star uh, that i would like to uh, i would like to open with if you're all right with that kick it off all right this comes from bg who says this is unbelievable bluff i read some good reviews about this movie in addition i respect french's cinema they usually give us interested and unconventional movies so i bought spanish apartment a big disappointment Huge one. 
It's candid. It's naive. It's boring with poor ideas, poor acting, very predictable. There's a lot of good movies around you. Don't waste your time with this one. I'm not sure what the affectation was that you ended up picking as you kind of went through that, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure where that was going to land either. Give me a few more sentences we could have gotten somewhere. (laughs) I'm sure there's a Bond villain coming out of that one. Yes, right. Uh, Well, I've got a two-star by uh, Anna Moreira, who says, different. Not exactly what we expected. French language was okay. I don't know. I guess we have to be college age to enjoy this to the max. (laughs) 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 To the max? I think she she gave away her age. I think she grew up in the 80s and is still living there. Oh, this dear. one she probably it probably gagged her with a spoon. Oh my god! Ah, thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I have tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022. We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.